Okay. Hello, hello. How are we all? Everyone okay? Mate, honestly, it's great to see people here. We just had our first discussion. There's no one here. <laughs> I think there's a bit of a nightmare people getting in, right? Yeah, yeah. Apologies. I, I skipped that. I got to jump out of the car and get in, so we're all right. Um, but no, uh, guys, welcome. My name's Nat. I'm going to be looking after uh, the panel discussions here today. Um, and we are now going to go into our second talk of the day. Uh, with Mr. Stephen Houston from Lucid Coffee Roasters. Uh, while he's chatting, you might also notice we have some lovely BSL interpreters on the side. This is Ali. Uh, she's going to be with us for the morning. And uh, we also have Tracy knocking around as well. Um, so, guys, hope you enjoy. Uh, we will have some questions at the end, uh, time for questions even. So if you do have any questions, please wait till then. Um, and I can give you the microphone you can ask away. All right. Thank you, guys. Over to Stephen. Cheers, bud. Can everyone hear me okay? Good, good. Thanks very much for coming. Yeah, because I, I, I did that horrible thing where I just walked to the front door. I was like, sorry, I'm speaking, and walked in past the crowd. So I appreciate people who had to wait. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um, it's really nice to be back in Manchester Coffee Festival. Um, and yeah, this is kind of like... Uh, I'm a big believer in accessibility and trying to share what we do as roasters and kind of stuff that maybe your casual or um, home baristas don't always get to learn about or get to hear about from a roaster's perspective. Um, as I say, there's going to be time for questions at the end. And I'm here all day, so if you see me floating around, please do uh, come and grab me. Um, so yeah, we'll get started. So obviously, who am I? My name's Stephen Houston. I'm the owner of Lucid Coffee Roasters, which is based in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, I've been open now just over a year and a half. So it's still quite a new business. Um, but previous to this, I did work for another larger uh, roasting company in Belfast for about eight years. So I feel like I've got enough experience in terms of roasting a lot of coffee, cupping a lot of coffee. Um, but a lot of people in the industry suffer from uh, imposter syndrome. And I'm a big, big person like that. I've done a lot, but I still get very worried that I don't know what I'm talking about. Because coffee just never seems to end in terms of variables and so many different things you can like use to influence. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot of uh, competitions. It's something I love doing a lot. Um, I think competitions are a great way to learn because you kind of have to like put yourself out there. Kind of like, I hope you know what you're talking about. Um, but it's a great way to sort of see where you stand and also just push yourself to learn a bit better. Um, I kind of feel like I learn better a bit under pressure. So doing stuff like this is, makes me very nervous, but it also helps me kind of fact-checked, make sure I kind of know what I'm talking about. So um, we'll get started. So coffee roasting is, it might look quite simple. There's a lot of stuff obviously goes into the background. Um, it's a complex process that involves basically heat application to help ch change green coffee, um, transform all the lovely things that are inside that green coffee, um, you know, the volatile aromatic compounds uh, and create those aromas and flavors that you really enjoy when you, like, you brew a coffee at home or in a cafe. Um, so, they, like, there's obviously a lot to it, but the approach to how you pick your green coffee, your roaster setup, your uh, style of coffee, all those different things will affect, obviously, the end product, which goes to the consumer. Um, and that's what I love about coffee. It's so, there's a lot of objectivity in it, but it's mainly subjective. Some people have preferences of this, some people have preferences of that. Um, and that's something I love exploring. So roasting's perfect for that. Um, 
So we're just going to go kind of into like a bit of background of like some people might know, some people don't. There's different actual machines. Like, so like this is my coffee roasting machine, um, but there's various different types you can sort of uh, use. So the traditional one, like the one I've kind of always trained on, the one I've always used is uh, a traditional drum roaster. I mean, they're, they're essentially a very expensive tumble dryer. They've got a drum inside. There's heat under, usually underneath or sometimes indirect. Um, and you're basically a mix and you have a um, airflow which will go through the drum so you have a I find drum roasters in the traditional sense more you have far more flexibility and you get a nice mix of conductive heat transfer as well as convective heat transfer which can be really easy for when you're trying to create solubility when you're trying to develop coffee for certain brew methods whether it's filter espresso and things like that um so yeah, I mean, it's probably one of those ones that like, other roasters will always have a very strong opinion of like, what, what's better. Um, so I'm hoping there's no roasters in this crowd to have an argument about it. Um, so yeah, so I'd say the main one's kind of your traditional drum roaster. Um, we've got the likes of Probat, Geeson, Mill City, Diedrich. Um, and then a, a sort of more popular one, I suppose in the last number of years, is your fluid airbed roaster. So the likes of Loring, they use a lot of convective heat. Essentially, you can, you're using a different type of heat transfer, but what you can create are far more even, far more delicious. You can also kind of push going a little bit lighter with your roast profiles um, and creating like very, very sweet, very, very balanced, um, very, very balanced like flavor profiles. So like some Loring and the little like Ikawa sample roasters. So here's some pictures of just kind of your uh, different types of roasters. So the one on the left-hand side uh, was one I used to use actually when I worked for the previous company called Bailey's. Um, it, it's, its drum capacity is 120 kilo. So you could roast, you know, two, three ton a day very easily on it. So it was a very noisy, hence why I'm kind of deaf now. But um, it's, a, it's one of those ones that's a very interesting roaster because it's, you can roast a huge amount of coffee. Uh, and you can really kind of like create very, very consistent roast profiles. Um, the Diedrich is the one in the middle, which is what I use currently. Uh, and then this is a Loring at the other side, which is a, a completely fluid air, air bed roaster. Um, as I say, depending on how you approach your roast, how you approach your green coffee, what you want your end result to be, can really help decide what kind of machine suits you best. Um, but generally, it's like you, with roasters, it's like, you become a master of your own environment. So it's like there's not, there's always going to be flaws in each one of these, but it's like how you understand your environment, how you understand the machine itself, how you can kind of manipulate it to create what you want. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting decision. It can be quite an expensive decision to make as well at the start when you're trying to decide um, what machine to go for. So one of the things we see a lot, um, and it is changing a lot, as I mentioned about, uh, I suppose, about subjectivity, um, you know, what people prefer. So common roasting styles, you'll see bags will have light roast, dark roast, French roast, all these different things. Um, and that's usually people's, like, first, when they first get into coffee, that's what they start to see. You go to your supermarket, there's the different levels of intensity. And that's why they kind of use roast level to be like the more intense, generally the darker it is. But, you know, it's kind of not as simple as that. Um, so I suppose what we see a lot of, and, you know, you'll probably see a lot of this in this kind of festival is your light, lighter roasted coffee. Um, so usually a lot more floral, a lot more acidic, very bright, very sweet. Um, 
they can be harder to extract. So sometimes with um, like home users, with the equipment and things like that, it can be hard to, um, I suppose, get the best out of some of those coffees because they are a lot lighter in roast profile. Uh, medium coffees are kind of, mer- most of my coffees that I roast are sort of between light and medium. I believe you need to have um, a lot more solubility is a really important thing to help you extract the coffee. Um, and also means you can use it for bo- more um, more different prep- you know, different preparations. If it's a medium roast, it'll taste really good as a filter, but it'll also taste really good in espresso without losing any of the kind of attributes that you really like. So it's still got acidity, lots of sweetness. Also more like easy to work with, I, I feel. Um, it just means it's a, it, you're more likely to get a good cup out of it, and that's kind of where I go for and dark roasts are kind of one of those things that get thrown around. Usually, like my parents used to talk about, like, oh, I love a strong coffee. And you're like, what is that? Because my brain, I'm like, oh, it's TDS or like, you know, how much you can extract from it because that's strength. But most people perceive it as like the robust taste of something. So like a heavy, robust blend or something that's very bitter or something that's very dark. That's what they thought was strong coffee. Um, but dark roasts, I, I believe dark roasts are becoming slightly more acceptable it's the same I did a talk a couple years ago about blending it's the same thing it's like it's got a bad reputation because you can roast stuff very dark and you could blend 10 coffees roast it very dark you probably wouldn't be able to tell what's in it Um, but over the years I've been experimenting a lot more with like how can you make a darker roast taste really good because you can create the longer you roast you can get more caramelization you can get better solubility so more body more sweetness so again, using a higher quality coffee, roasting it darker, should give you the same kind of results where you're getting a really sweet, full cup of coffee that can be more accessible, I suppose, to kind of like the people trying to get into specialty coffee because it's just that little, it's a familiarity. You go to the high street, a lot of dark roasts, specialty coffee, it's, most people see it as a lighter roast. So it's about sort of accessibility and bridging that gap. Um, and something I always mention is like roastery is not always indicative of quality. So like a, a dark roast does not necessarily mean it's like terrible coffee. And I've seen it on the other side where people are roasting lower quality coffee, very, very light. And it's just, so it's not, it's not indicative of quality. It's how you, again, master your own environment, how you approach the roast. Um, so obviously the green coffee is like the main, uh, the starting point, I suppose, when it comes to, you know, coffee roasting in general. Um, so a lot of the things we have to consider is kind of like obviously the quality you'll hear the difference between specialty coffee and commodity coffee um, it's on a point scale system so anything over 80, 80 points um, is considered specialty and that goes up to 100 um, you have different processes I kind of wanted to leave this out because not, it used to be very simple years ago it was just washed, natural, honey now it's Ever, 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 ever growing list of bizarre and unusual experimental processes, which is great from a roasting perspective because it's just more things, more variables to consider, um, and obviously different flavor profiles. You know, really, I, I think it's super exciting time because you are just getting weirder and more wonderful coffees. Um, obviously, your origin. When I look at it from a, a business perspective, it's like what origins are popular with people. What are the up and coming ones that I find interesting? Um, and trying to give a spotlight to sort of maybe some coffees you've never heard of. Um, a lot of it as well, like, is the purpose. Does this coffee suit espresso? Does this coffee suit it more for filter? 
Um, that will come down to maybe a taste preference as well. Um, but when I pick it, I I split my offering. So I have espresso coffees and I have filter coffees. Not to say you can make the filter coffees as espresso and vice versa, but it's just more for, from my perspective, it's about the choice and the flavor profile. What I believe would suit better for espresso with more milk drinks and then filter coffees that will give more vibrancy in your filter coffee. Um, other things that we look at as a roaster's perspective are things like the health of the beans, so your density. You can measure things like water activity. You know, to kind of see how healthy the beans are. Obviously, it's a chemical reaction which is happening. So if the beans are very healthy at a good moisture level, low water activity where you're not at any risk of any mold or any defects, um, it'll help, obviously, when you roast it. You've got more to play with. If you're using a coffee that's old or not very healthy, it's going to impact the flavor. You can roast it really as best you can, but it'll only ever be as good as the raw product. Um, and then flavor profile as well. It's kind of like, as I mentioned, like subjectivity comes into it. Some people, like I always use the, there was a coffee years ago that tasted like marzipan. And I like, I hate marzipan. It's hot, like, ugh. it tricked me as a child because I thought it was icing, you know, anyway, bring up some trauma. But, but it was immediately as soon as I tasted it, it tastes like marzipan. So it's, you know, that, that green coffee had that. So objectively I looked at it as like, wow, that, it's horrible, but it tastes like what I think it is. So, um, and then you know it suits more an espresso base because it's great in milk, things like that. Another thing as well, it's the same with a lot of things. Even your your roasted coffee at home, storing it well, sealing the bag after you've used it. It's the same with green coffee. You can keep green coffee in a stable environment. It's going to be easier to roast. It's going to be the longevity of the green coffee as well. Um, makes it easier when you're roasting it should still taste as good when you first got it um so my approach to roasting uh in general uh i suppose like it's it's probably something you see a lot it's always trying to like when i cup samples and i get samples sent to me i like hearing the story behind it i like seeing where the coffees maybe come from you know the traceability of it um but for me it's kind of like you know it's it's trying to represent the hard work someone else has done and that's kind of what all coffee really is it's been passed on from like the growers you know and, and it's working its way to you as a roaster to then work on its way to the general public so that's you know so for me it's about making sure i'm doing it as proud as i can and making sure that when i cupped it first that you know had this great flavor profile or had these great attributes how can i preserve that and make sure that that becomes associated with that producer or that farm etc um, obviously clear and distinct flavors as I mentioned even if it's something I personally don't like obviously other people will like maybe those flavor profiles so it's finding coffees that I can be, I can be suppose more accessible and kind of get people to kind of try my coffee um, the big thing I see a lot of uh, and I learned this a lot from competition it was like trying to make your coffee balanced so when you brew it hot it's got a certain flavor you know it's got certain attributes as it cools down the coffee should stay it should stay as kind of like or evolve so the flavor profile should really change and become if you drink it I'm really bad for I'll make a coffee and I'll go and start doing stuff and then forget about it and then I'm sitting like oh 10 minutes later I drink my coffee but it still tastes pretty good even though it's it's cold so I'm disappointed but I'm also like oh the coffee's still holding up well so I've, I've done something right um, but it's a lot about keeping those flavors balanced as well it's really important to like Make that make you know give people that experience. Some coffees have huge amounts of complexity, especially with like competitions. It was about creating that kind of 
roast profile or creating that experience that you can drink the whole cup and be like, it just keeps getting better. I think that's one of my favorite things to be able to achieve. Um, another thing is about solubility. As I mentioned, it's like, I don't, my coffees are sold to like cafes, but they're also sold to home users. So it's about making coffee soluble. It doesn't mean I have to roast everything super dark, but you can create, you're using different heat transfer to create a more soluble coffee. So it's like if you have a sage machine at home or you're running a, a really expensive coffee grinder and setup, you should be able to get the best out of it regardless of your setup. Um, obviously not to overdevelop or make the coffee unbalanced, roasting it too fast, too slow. It's kind of like being used to your machine, used to kind of what you can achieve from this or like you can't push you know I know I can't go super light with my roasting machine as much as I would maybe like to try I, it, 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 any experiment I've done the coffee has tasted bad so it's like stick to like the setup I've got what I can achieve from it and then that obviously then becomes your kind of like I suppose my identity I suppose as a roaster um, and again yeah say like pay attention to those details of the coffee density altitude you know what, what the coffee actually has um, a lot of I, I talked about this kind of with someone else um, the kind of like artisan style and the craft of roasting I kind of rely heavily more on like the data of things so it's like and taste so it's like I did this here's the proof whether it's the roast profile or whatever taste it this tastes bad where did I go wrong and I just sort of based it on data it's like there is a certain level of craft but it is a lot of it's data driven it's taste driven uh, and then it's it's also like subjectively driven a little bit as well because again like what I perceive might not be what you perceive um, that's another thing about like tasting notes which I took off my bags which is, could be another an entire conversation we could have about those but it was again relying on data what does the coffee have my water is different to your water we have great water in Northern Ireland by the way um, so like what you might get at home will not be what I taste so things like acidity body sweetness are things you should be able to get regardless of the tasting notes. Um, this is a bit heavy. I can actually send this uh, presentation out to anyone. Um, if anyone's interested in having it, I'm absolutely free to share it. Um, but you'll see this is more kind of like from the, the roast profile side. So you might hear different things when you're kind of walking around. Some people talking about roast profiles. Usually if you see me talking at this, it's probably me talking about some boring roast profile. But there's different phases throughout the roast. So it's like when you've heated the machine up, when you start the roast, it goes through certain phases. Um, I probably get, well, there's probably a conversation around the drying phase, which is sort of the starting of the roast, which you could argue isn't really drying. or It's basically kind of the, the point of when you've put the coffee in, you've charged it, the green coffee has gone from the hopper then into the drum. So this is the sort of start of the roast. This is kind of where I'm going to be looking to charge it with as much heat or or less heat if I, if, depending on the coffee um, and it's to sort of set the tempo of the roast so I'm wanting to get like a I mentioned in a second like rate of rise which is your acceleration through a roast you want that to start high and then I, I reduce down as I get towards the end of a roast um, something you see a lot I, I do it quite a lot is like a soak so basically when the roast is put in I'm not putting the gas on straight away I'm letting the beans kind of like start the roast kind of like I don't want to say like preheating an oven, but it's like preheated. You've put the beans in, but instead of hitting it with maybe too much heat, which could make it spike and go a bit too fast, I like starting slow and then applying the heat more gently. It's sort of the idea I have behind it is 
you're kind of giving the, the beans a more gentle start, which sounds really romantic, that you're giving these beans this beautiful little start to before they roast. Um, but that's the idea behind it. It sort of gives you a more stable temperature to work with. Also from my like in-between roasts, the, temp- the, 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 the roaster itself set a more stable temperature for me to you know, make more consistent roasts. I want to roast obviously lots of batches of the same coffee and make it as consistent. Um, the, one of the things that happens through the roast, obviously there's a color change, so it goes from green coffee into uh, like a yellowy color. It's called a Maillard reaction. Um, it's exactly the same chemical uh, reaction that happens when you put uh, like meat on a pan. It goes brown. It's essentially it's, it, that is a Maillard reaction as well. So it's the color change, as in a physical change, but also that's when the sugars, um, all the things that have inside the beans are starting to then develop. So you're getting more of the sugar starting to develop. You're getting caramelization. Um, you know, this is like you're starting to add energy to the beans a lot more so they're going to start using their it, the chemical reaction will begin to start creating those aromatic compounds the sweetness acidity all those different things um, there's also a thing at the towards the end of the roast which is called first crack it's literally an audible noise during the roast the, the beans again I kind of romanticize these little beans have been heated so much that they can't take it anymore and they they pop it sounds it kind of sounds like popcorn but it's essentially just the gas is escaping. It's, it's usually the indication that you are now into the development stage, which is sort of the end of the roast or towards the end of the roast. Again, this is where you start to decide how long you want to develop it for, how long you want to kind of keep the heat on, different things. It's basically kind of, for me, it's like the kind of like, right, I'm nearly at the end. This is when I need to start really paying attention. Um, second crack is kind of again if we talked about dark roast earlier on you you develop the coffee longer and longer and longer so you're going for a darker roast there's another audible point where the beans start to break down the cellular structure so they start to crack again so this is when you start getting into the kind of like super dark roast they start to go oil, the oils essentially come out of the beans to create a darker roast profile um, as I mentioned there uh, development time ratio that's literally just like the development time from first crack to the end of the roast. It's something that roasters use as a kind of like metric for development time. So it's like how long it's been developed for. You go shorter, maybe for a lighter profile, you go long. Again, it's a very complicated. It could get into a lot of arguments about what's the best development time and things like that. But again, for me, it's like understanding your own system and understanding your own machine. So my development time ratios are going to be different to other people's. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the data, the taste. Does the coffee does the coffee taste good? Is it always going to be my answer? I can look at da- there's times I've roasted coffee and it looks insane, or the profile's gone wrong, and I taste it and I'm like, this is way better than it would have been if I'd done it perfectly. So um, it's a pretty interesting one. Um, yeah. So we'll move on to the the roasting profiles. So again, this is where I get a lot of my data from. There's a lot of different computer systems you can get that can give you these roast profiles and that's essentially what I use as my kind of reference so I talk about consistency I talk about wanting to like repeat something I've got a coffee it tastes amazing I want to do it again so having a roast profile can make it a lot easier it's essentially a map to follow when you're roasting so it's linked to my machine got a little computer and again that's why I like I don't talk about the craft of roasting I talk about the data because this is that I'm looking at this as a visual representation of like what's happening during the roast 
Um, and it's, as I say, it's, it's live, so it's attached to the roaster. I can, if something's going off or going under, I can adjust. Um, so yeah, it makes it a lot easier to kind of like follow things and also like, as I say, once you've nailed it, you're getting a little bit closer to being like, I can make this consistent, which is obviously what I want from a cafe's perspective. I don't want to send you a coffee each week and it tastes different, it's darker, it's lighter. This can be like my kind of like, right, I've hit the points, I can repeat this. Um, so this is kind of what it looks like, really exciting. Um, so we talk about different things, as I mentioned at the start, you know, this is your sort of like drying phase, so this is the beans going in, and then this is like my gas. So again, I can basically see everything in real time. Um, I mentioned rate of rise, which is the acceleration of the coffee, or the acceleration of the roast. So you see it starts up very high where the beans are denser and can take a lot more of the energy. Um, and as they start to become more soluble, I'm starting to reduce the heat down to kind of, again, make it a lot more gentle for the beans. Giving them too much, they're going to get like too over-roasted. You're going to miss potentially the chemical reactions are happening at different phases. So going too fast might give you this, but you'll miss something else. So my approach to roasting, it's, it's funny because I used to be a lot different with the older machine I used um, since switching to the D-Drake I've had to change my like roast profiles to be a lot slower because it just doesn't seem to work with the faster roast profiles um, as I mentioned this is like where color change seems to happen sort of like halfway through the roast and then this is like first crack and then the development time at the end so again I have all this information then after so this was a one of my filter roasts so a smaller batch my weight loss was like 12-13% um, but that means I cup that then the next day and I'm like okay this is this is great obviously I do it first time and it's perfect you know um, but it gives me something to aim for next time so I cup it taste it and go okay okay maybe maybe see if you know that was a 9% development ratio can I push it to 10 11 but maybe reduce the end term you know it can be a chasing the dragon situation because you could just keep changing each piece and then be completely lost um, yeah, and so then moving on to like the sort of other side of it when you sample roast, which is a, a little smaller. The roasting machine I have at the moment is a 12 kilo, so I don't really always want to put like 9, 10 kilos in to test something because if it doesn't work, you've just thrown away that kind of... Uh, it's a lot of waste as well, so sample roasting is a little tiny version of it. You can roast multiple samples. You can taste a lot of different coffees. So when I'm buying, it makes it a lot easier. I can roast 15 samples up them all be like oh i really like this one and kind of means you can you're not roasting too much and you can kind of uh as they taste side by side really interesting as well um and then there's different ways of doing cupping as well like i think cupping can scare a lot of people when it comes to like what's that usually when you're like it's like when you're trying to explain about what it is or like you watch the cup tasters and you see people who've never seen it before they're just like what is going on here with people slurping out of bowls um but it's, it's, the, as it's the best way to be able to taste. Like, so if you can ever get... There's loads of people doing cuppings. Go to one. It's, it's, it's the best way to like... You might buy a coffee because you think it looks nice because of the descriptors. But tasting like a wash coffee instead of natural or like five coffees from one part of one region but different varieties. It just means you can start to pick out those little differences, which is super interesting. And there's different... like So for me, from a roasting perspective, I follow like a pretty strict protocol again consistency is very important so I don't want to give a coffee an unfair advantage so I try and do it it's very hard to do it blind because I'm a one man operation so it's like I can't really like hide things so I kind of know which ones are on the table 
but it's trying to be as objective as possible when it comes to cupping because you don't want to be like I love Kenyan coffees so if there's Kenyan coffee on the table I'm going to be like oh yeah it's the best but necessarily it might not be so it's it's trying to be more objective and giving yourself each coffee the best representation of it or like the the fairest um, the fairest like you know so it wouldn't it wouldn't stand out more because you like it you know that kind of thing so that's yeah I mean I don't know if many people have been to cupping this is like how you how I do my cuppings in the roastery so all the coffees grind at the same grind grind setting the water's all poured very controlled all the same amount of coffee same amount of water so you're not adding anything to kind of make this you're not brewing a coffee slightly better because you like it you're giving everything the same brew time same kind of uh, I suppose the same chance to shine it can also be a good way of saying like oh this coffee was tasting great at the start as it's cooled down it's really fallen away so that could be like an indication of quality and things like that um, this is something I feel really passionate about because again it's uh, it's something that's kind of starting to really change we're seeing it a lot more um, it's become a lot more prevalent I think in specialty coffee most people here blend you know it's kind of from the old days where it was like blending like 10 coffees and you know roasting stuff darker um, and it comes synonymous I suppose with like lower quality or kind of your high street coffees and things like that so the single origin thing came with this sort of new wave of coffee where it was like, this is from one farm, um, you know, one particular place. I think single, that's all I do at the moment. Um, it's a great way of showing a representation of an area, a farm, a producer. Um, and I think it's, it, it can be very easy for people to kind of, when you're getting into it, to be like, decide what flavor profile you like. I love floral coffee, so you're going to love Ethiopian chocolate nutty coffees from Brazil. It helps people kind of associate names with flavor profiles. But for me, blending is really interesting because it's happened now in the last few years with competitions. Blending to me is kind of like you can, you can make something greater than the sum of its parts. So you're taking two amazing coffees, but maybe one's got lots of sweetness and this one doesn't, but it has higher acidity. It doesn't always work like that. But putting those together, you can then have a very, very exciting coffee where it's got great sweetness, great body, high acidity. And you create a new flavor profile. So it's something that was better than the two of them side by side. And it becomes your identity. So that was something I talked about a lot two years ago here. It cre- you can create your own blend identity. There's plenty of roasters here. We can all roast the same coffee. It'll all taste slightly different. But you'll be able to tell after a while. You'll be like, everything's starting to taste the same. We're very, you know, the differences are very small. Whereas if I took three coffees, blended them in a certain way, roasted them differently... I've created a brand new flavor profile that only I have been able to produce. So that's something I always really enjoy about blending is like you can create something that doesn't exist anywhere else. And that's what's really important to me as a, from a roast perspective. So I think now in the next few years, we're going to really start to see more. Competition's been a great thing. People are taking like stupidly expensive coffees, blending them together, and they're making these unbelievable experiences. So it's starting to set the pace for everyone else to be like, okay, blending's okay now, you know, so... Um, that's it again I feel like it was like a bit of a rush to get all that information out uh, as I say it's quite a complex amount of dis- you know things that happen during roasting um, so it's kind of trying to be trying to be informative but not too too much because I could talk forever you'll probably ne- you probably notice this about me um, but yeah if anyone has any questions thank you very much that was a really interesting talk thank you I uh, really enjoyed it good it was great to hear about um, some of the f- sort of changes in fashion as well with, you know, 
blends being more acceptable ah. and, and, and darker rose too. A um, couple of questions, if that's okay. First one, do you think there's any point in um, trying home roasting, you know, at home by I, yourself? I, I, absolutely. It's one of those ones that's like, there's w- don't burn your house down is the kind of first thing because I've heard a few people put it in the oven and like, oh, it'll work. The problem with it can be uh, the evenness of your roast. It depends how you want to do it. But like home roasters are becoming more accessible. You can buy them for like a few hundred pounds now. I think it's a really interesting thing to do because as I say, it's you, you're the one in charge of developing that flavor or developing that coffee. So I think it's a really good introduction to be like, oh, I get it. You know, you can start to build your own kind of ideas of like how coffee roasting works. Again, like, you know, it depends on what you want to spend. You're going to be limited maybe by price or, you know, having smoke coming out of your kitchen might not be everyone's uh, favorite thing to do. Um, but it's becoming a lot more, a lot. I was very fortunate. I worked for Coffee Roastery and then started my own one. But I know other coffee roasters who've started playing right at home, but really enjoyed it. And then that kind of, well, I'll buy a bigger machine and then moved into like actual kind of, I think it's a good way because, you, you, you know, it's the same, as I mentioned, mastering your own environment. So you can start figuring out what works in your house, what doesn't, what fire safety you have. I mean, again, I'm not condoning actually doing anything with gas. <laughs> Just be sure. But, yeah, no, I think, I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's definitely worth trying. I mean, do it in a pan. Just have a fire extinguisher. Just <laughs> That's just a caveat to make sure to get, uh, this doesn't come back. <laughs> Sorry to hog, hog the mic. Just one more. Um, so like a lot of people, I've got a V60 and AeroPress at home. Mm-hmm. But I find that um, uh, the Lighter Rose Single Origin works well with V60. Mm-hmm. But with, a, with an AeroPress, I don't get very good results with, yeah. with, with those kind of coffees. Uh-huh. And, and usually end up using slightly darker or even a blended coffee. Can uh-huh. you just say it? a bit more about why, why that might be the, the only thing I can think of is like a, v, a V60 is a pour over so it's essentially like grind coffee in a paper filter and the water's going straight through it with an AeroPress it's, you're going to have some level of immersion so like sort of a French press same idea you're putting coffee in so more developed coffee is going to be more soluble you get more body you get more maybe the sweetness from it um, it's just again you can manipulate the grind and you could maybe get a better result. I mean, I've, I've done the AeroPress. We could have a conversation after about this with like things I would do to like um, make AeroPress coffee taste a lot better. It could just be a recipe, your grind size, using double filters, all these different things to help clean the coffee up. Um, it's just because you're, you're doing some level of immersion with it, whether you're doing it inverted or not. There'll be some level of the coffee sitting in water, whereas the V60, the water is just going straight through it. So it could just be like, depending on the coffee choice, it's, I've made a, a darker roast V60 and it's been great just using a slightly different brew ratio slightly different grind lower temperature water can really kind of change that and, and vice versa higher temperature finer grind on the AeroPress can really help bring those coffees out great talk thank you um, actually building on that last one uh, recommended by Kickback Coffee, who are here today. Over lockdown, I actually went down the popcorn popper yeah. rabbit hole at yeah. home, and, yeah. and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And we're kind of interested in maybe what a next step looks like. Yeah. But it seems like it's a lot, a lot more. Yeah. But I was wondering if you had any recommendations for what something that would be a bit better than that, but obviously isn't quite at the, the extent that you're talking about professionally. It's- <laughs>
It's definitely becoming. It's definitely becoming a lot more. Um, let's say more accessibility. More roasters are bringing out like home roasters. Akawa had a home roaster for a long time. It's only like fifty grams. So it's quite small. But there's like the likes of the Alio Bullet. I, don't, I can't remember the price of them. I'm not sponsored by them. Um, but like a lot of people have. St- I know a few roasters who that's what they started on. They were up to one kilo. So you can really and and there's other companies like um, there's Green Coffee Collective. They can sell you coffee in like one kilo sizes. So you can buy green coffee, do a few roasts. You can really, and you don't have to worry about like, oh, I just bought a 60 kilo bag. What am I going to do with this? Just sits in your house. So it's like there's there's easier ways to kind of like, I suppose test the waters. And I think that's, and still you make the commitment of like, put, unless you have loads of money, it'd be great. You just buy a big machine. Um, I definitely didn't have that. But it's like, you know, it gives you that experience to be like, start working. With, you know, there's a lot more to it. You know, there's branding, there's bags, all these different things. But like it gives you an idea of like, oh, actually, I can make coffee taste pretty good, and build from there. And I know plenty of people have started on, and then still roast on a, a bullet. The busier you get, Alio Bullet, do you call it? Um, if you Google but it should, bullet roaster, it should come up. You should be able to find it. They're electric roaster. You just need a ventilation and a window. Really easy to set up at home. They're quite. They look quite cool as well. But they're like as good as I've seen as a home roaster. Then it's the same with home espresso. It goes. There's just that. There's a, a, a mid-range gap where it goes from a one kilo to then like a three or a five. It's a huge price difference. You've got maybe gas power. You've got, you know, it, it, it's sort of, if that's the direction you want to go in, then it's you have to make that little jump. But building a business at the start with that kind of bullet, getting coffee out there, starting to build it up. It's easier than then, like, that could be another conversation about like financing and things like that. But it's a really good way to start. And with that size of roaster, you're getting to at least produce enough to like you could sell to, you could sell a kilo to someone and they think oh yeah that's really good I'll buy that again and you can kind of see where, and, and from a control perspective they seem pretty pretty good I've had some great coffee for them so yeah we them. <laughs> I knew you were gonna that was really interesting as a roaster I, I even learned some stuff just from a mindset point of view um, so as a man that likes data and follows the graph, uh, when you're not tracking with the graph, do you what's your mindset? Uh, let it run out or try and get it back on track? Oh, when the roast profile goes off. When it, when a roast profile like goes off. Yeah, when you're not when you're not tracking on your graph, do you is your mindset to let it run as it is, or do you try and get it back on track? Obviously, there's it, lots of variables. It's a, it, it, yeah, there's. A, I mean, with a lot of this stuff, like, and it's it's been to be honest, it's been a struggle. When I changed from the, I used to do some probots, different sizes, then we switched to a D-drag, totally different setup, totally different in between batch. It's a lot slower. Um, I try my best to like keep that as consistent. It's very susceptible to the weather at the moment, so the colder air. I don't have a huge space. It is becoming a bit more problematic. Um, generally speaking, I've been very. I'm never like completely off that I'm like you know there has been a couple of times where it's like because I it's just me as a business someone phoned and I answered it and then fuck I didn't put the gas on you know and sorry to swear um, they and then well, I, I would usually just try my best to get it to some level of roasting generally when it comes to like some of maybe the filter roasts if it went off to the point of like it was maybe like the, for example that roast profile I'm going to go back um if it went completely off or a little bit longer or say the end temperature, say it was, you know, first crack was a little bit later, I would still probably aim for the same maybe development, but I would just sort of see where the end temperature is going. If the rate of rise was higher and it's starting to go off a little bit, 
I kind of just usually like with the, again with the Diedrich you can see pretty much here I've kind of killed the gas which is like in and around just before first well first cracks up here like one 185 180 degrees and kind of I feel like there's enough energy inside the Diedrich because it's the 12 kilo I've got the uh, heat exchangers in it so there's loads of heat stored in it which can be a problem when it does go off because you turn the gas off it doesn't change anything for a very long time um, but generally I'll let it run and I'll do another I'll probably if it's bad enough that I think it's off I'll, I'll do another roast but I'll then cup them side by side and then be like actually the one that went because it happened before with a similar coffee it went under it was under the pro, it was pretty much under the roast profile so it went on longer I went for the same development but it was maybe like one or two degrees lower you know say it was 206 was the original but it came out at 204 but actually the, the, the longer roast profile with le- maybe it was less heat transfer far better sweetness far better balance didn't have as maybe bright as acidity but overall it was a more balanced cup so then I used that as the reference and kind of built from there so it's a happy accident that's all roasting really is it's just kind of like <laughs> you know you kind of have a starting point and then you kind of build from there so yeah generally it's like I'll let it I'll try and control it as best I can and aim for something like whether it's the development ratio or the development time and then set it to the side generally touch wood I've been very lucky that it's been minor and you know minor inconsistencies but no absolutely and that's how you learn you kind of go right definitely the longer one doesn't work so it's yeah, it's always learning. It's not a fail. It's an opportunity to learn. So that's kind of my approach. Any more questions? No. No, it's like I'm happy enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be around all day anyway. If I, if you have any questions, just see me around. Just come grab me. Awesome. Thank Guys, you. Guys, let's give it up for Stephen. Thanks, Mady. That was great. So uh, lots of information to digest in that talk. Um, just to let you know, we do all sessions over the weekend are being recorded uh, and being uploaded onto the uh, Cup North podcast, which is called Brewing It Over. Uh, so if there's something that you do want to hear back on or, or actually I want to make that talk, but you can't be there, you can find it on the podcast uh, when it's been uploaded. But no, thanks, Stephen. Uh, we're going to be starting our next session with... One second. Uh, Spencer from Coco Runners is going to be a talk on craft chocolate, a sensory exploration of craft chocolate. So that's going to be starting at half past 11. But thanks, guys, for coming. See you around. Take care.